turn back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16. We're going to get there in a moment. Now, I've got a couple questions to ask you this morning, and I need your participation. I need some involvement from you, all right? Does it shock you to discover that not everyone accepts you the way you are? Some of you are shaking your head, yes. Some of you are shaking your nope, doesn't shock me at all. You know, there's something about each of us that causes others to reject us. Some of you are pointing hands there, <clears throat> Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, no. But there's something about us that causes, us, causes others to reject us. Now, we hope people would like us. Who in here would say, by raising of your hand, say, I'm not a likable person. No one's going to like me. No, we all think that people should like us. We all think that we're pretty much a likable person. But why is it that we are so cautious about reaching out? Because we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid that, that somebody's going to turn us down. Somebody's going to make fun of us. And so we're fearful of rejection. That fear of rejection is what causes us not to risk rejection. Several years ago, a guy named by, by the name of John Powell wrote a book entitled, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? The reason is you might reject me. When we reach out to others, they don't always reach back. So why risk trying to be someone's friend when it hurts too much to be rejected? Now, some of you may not want to raise your hand on this, but how many of you have ever been rejected? You've been rejected. You've been in that position. And especially as a young person or as a teenager, I imagine it happens even as you get older, but even as a young person, when you reach out, you want to be a friend with someone, you want to have friends, and they reject you, it hurts you. It's painful. How many of you would list them? How many people here would say, hey, I've got two good friends? How many would have three good friends? How many have any friends at all? No one's even responding here. I'm just wondering if everyone's come here for the purpose this morning to find a friend. I'm wondering if that's the reason. I'm not sure. Someone once said, we have fewer friends than we imagine but more than we know. How do you know who your friends are? Hattie Green knows who her friends are. She was an infamous millionaire. She lived in somewhat of seclusion and then eventually reclusion. She had only a few friends and an ugly mongrel dog that kept biting those friends she had. The other friends kept telling her, you've got to get rid of that dog. She refused. She said, that dog loves me. And he doesn't even know how much money I have. Hmm. Could that be a clue to what a true friend is? He or she loves me whether I'm rich, poor, or whatever. How many of you... Husbands don't elbow your wives. But how many of you here this morning have a lot of shoes in your closet at home? Raise your hand. Okay. I was trying to see how many men raised their hand. Not many of them do. Why do you have so many shoes in your closet? Because they're for different occasions. Am I correct? You have tennis shoes. You have work shoes. You have dress shoes. You have, um, you know, maybe house shoes. 
in case you've got tile floor or something. You have a variety of them. Now, then it gets to the point where I've got to have one for each outfit. I have different colors and everything else. We won't go there. But all of the reason is, is you have shoes for a variety of different occasions. Now, ladies, don't go home and say, Pastor Steve said it was all right. I can buy another pair of shoes on the way home. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not my point of bringing this up. But you know what? Likewise, in some ways, we have friends for different areas of our lives as well. We have casual friends, close friends, work friends, social friends. thing about it is, a lot of times our friends are just like our shoes. They stink. Think about it. And it's easy to point out the ones that stink, but we don't recognize when we stink as friends as well. Are you a friend or an enemy? Are you the friend or the enemy? How can you tell one from the other? Sometimes it's pretty obvious who's your friends and who's your enemy. Sometimes it's not that obvious. Now, what I need you to do is stretch your fingers. Right? We're going to go through, start in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to hit a lot of different verses. And so make sure if your pages, you know, you haven't been in 1 Samuel in a long time and they kind of get stuck together. Maybe you've never been in 1 Samuel. Make sure you have four or five pages, you just separate them so you know where we are and you can find that passage. But we're going to run through this pretty quickly, but I want you to realize that what a, what a friend is and what an enemy, be able to know the difference between the two. Remember our scripture reading, there was a specific reason I read that in chapter 16. David may have initially thought that King Saul was his friend. He played music to soothe the king's fits of depression and other issues going on in his life, but he eventually found out that Saul really wasn't a friend. Can anyone finish this phrase? With friends like you, who needs enemies? That's right, with friends like Saul, who really needed an enemy? Let's talk about some of those signs to determine the difference between a friend and an enemy in your life. Chapter 16, verse 21 says this, and I said we're going to go. So David came, nope, yep, right verse. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly. That's Saul loving David greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, please let David stand before me. He has found favor in my sight. Here's the first sign of an enemy. Their love is selfish. Now, it says that David loved, that Saul loved David, and you think, hey, he said he, was, he loved him. But there was a reason why Saul loved David. It was what David, for what David could do for him. It wasn't anything about David. It was all about Saul. It was selfish love. It was like, hey, you come here, you soothe my... I, I really appreciate what you can do for me. And so be careful. And, and you probably know people like that. Anybody here know someone that the friendship that you have with them, it's all about them? Don't point fingers, don't call out names. But first thing to be aware of is that selfish love. Jump, kick over to chapter 18. Look at verse 8 and 9 here. Pastor Luke read this last week, I believe. Verse 8 and 9, that they had, the ladies and they were, were yelling out and saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. See, Saul was angry and saying, this, this saying displeased him because of what they were saying. So verse 9 says, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. Not only was there selfish love, there was resentment. There was resentment because of who, who he was and what everyone, how everyone else responded to him. You ever have, that's not a friend. If they resent your friendship with other people, 
Let's read on. Chapter 18, verse 21 and 25. I told you we're going to go. 21. This is where, and Luke covered this a little bit. This is where uh, after David had already, uh, after Saul rather, had, had thrown a spear at David. And there a part that I really don't understand. After he did that, David escaped. But then what Saul does is make him head of the, head of the army. Maybe just to keep his enemies close and keep an eye on them. But then what he does, he, he gives his daughter to David. Saul gives his daughter to David. But he doesn't give it like when my daughters are 38, 39, and I okay that, and I give them to another guy. He, he doesn't do that. No, but what he's doing, he has an evil plot. He says, I give her, and she's going to be a snare. In other words, what David, what Saul is thinking is, hey, she's going, to, she's going to be my lookout. She's going to be my confidant. She's going to stick up for me. And yet, what we'll find out is that she stuck up for David and not for her dad. But there was an evil plan going on there. Not only that, look, usually during this time, the, the man wants, to, wants the woman, he will give uh, a dowry. Look at verse 25. Then, then Saul says, no, I don't want that. This is what I want. The king does not desire any dowry, but 100 foreskins of the Philistines. That doesn't sound so bad. Hey, I want you to kill 100 of my enemies. But there's an evil plot for that. There's an evil reason for that. He wanted to put David out there so his enemies may kill him. So he didn't have to. And see, what, you, what happens is, and this is what's so amazing in these evil plans, what does David do? He goes out and not only kills 100, he kills 200 and brings it back. They're scalps. He said, boom. I imagine that just enraged Saul because you know what? His evil plan had failed. He was an enemy. He was an enemy. Let's read on. Chapter 19, now we're in. Verse 6. So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Well, this is what happened. Saul wanted everyone to go out and kill him, and Jonathan started to defend David, say, hey, there's no reason to kill him. And Saul tells his son, hey, it's all right. I'm not going to kill him. I listen to your voice. But here's deception, an enemy, deception. Yes, Saul, Saul deceives his son Jonathan by telling him, I swear I won't kill David. And then Jonathan passes the news on to David. The next thing you read is that David's playing the musical harp again to soothe Saul. But watch out. Here comes spear number two at David. So it was just deception. He didn't really mean that he wasn't going to try to kill him anymore. But Saul goes a step further now. He also sends some assassins group to kill David. He goes to his house. Why does he know where David lives? Because that's where his daughter lives. And he thinks, hey, I'm going to go there. I'm going to kill her. But then Michael says, nope, David, you need to watch out. Here's the evil plot that my dad has. You need to get away. And he takes off to go spend some time with Samuel for for safety. Not only is there selfish love, resentment, evil plans, deception, but go in chapter 20, verse chapter 20, verse 30. Listen to what this says. Chapter 20, verse 30. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. And he's talking about, hey, you're, you're supporting David. About verse 33, and says, then Saul cast a spear at him, at Jonathan, trying to kill his son. Guilty by association. Guilty by association. Look at verse 22, verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 17 through 19. 
chapter 22, 17 through 19. It says, Then the king said to the guards who stood about them, Turn and kill these priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And 85 priests at that time were killed because of their association with David. Now, here's the last point. We've read the verses, but I think it comes down to this, and that is murder. We've looked at chapter 19, chapter 20, and 22, where David thought that playing his harp would bring healing. There was hatred. Saul hurled his spear at David, yelling, I will pin you to the wall. Spear number one, chapter 18. Spear number two, chapter 19. Sending the assassins, chapter 19. Chapter 20, spear three goes to Jonathan. Chapter 22, the killing of the priest. And that's just in these chapters. That doesn't cover all the other time that you can read about how after David takes off, Saul pursues him and tries to kill him. Now, if we had friends like Saul, how many of you would keep them around? None of us. If we were friends like Saul, we wouldn't stay around with many friends either. Now, you might say, hey, I've never wanted to kill any of my friends. Maybe you have. But how many of you treated your friends selfishly? Or you resented them? Or you had any of these evil plans? See, we need to not have these characteristics if we want a true friendship that David and Jonathan had. Just one of these characteristics is bad enough. I don't believe anyone here this morning longs for a friendship like Saul. They want a different type of friendship. Long before there was Batman and Robin, long before there was Shaggy and Scooby-Doo. Yeah, I knew someone would know that. Long before there was Buzz and Woody, Charlie Brown and Snoopy, Beavis and that other guy. There were two friends whose friendship was so strong, so loving, so loyal, so perfect, that it becomes the standard that many people measure their friendship by. Long before the fresh Prince of Bel-Air, some of you remember that? Anybody know who his friend was? Jazzy Jeff. Hey, Jazzy Jeff. Long before there was fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Jazzy Jeff, long before Tom and Jerry, long before Simba and Nala, there was Jonathan And David. Jonathan was probably the original Fresh Prince in a way. His father was the king. He was a golden boy. He was an accomplished warrior, respected leader, and heir to the throne. David was the youngest son, not of a king, but of a shepherd named Jesse. He and Jonathan would probably become friends sometime after David had defeated Goliath. Probably after David came to the palace as a court musician to help Jonathan's father. You see, interwoven throughout Saul's murderous plots comes forth an extraordinary friendship between David and Jonathan. Jonathan and David were the closest friends. Jonathan even attempted to bring about reconciliation between his father and his friend. He actually appointed himself as a mediator representing David before Saul. They were close friends. They were devoted to each other. They probably finished each other's sentences, maybe even absorbed each other's mannerisms. We all want friends like this. We want friends we can laugh with, we can cry with. We want friends who know our faults and still love us anyway. 
We want friends who will accept us and understand us, who will challenge us and stick by us. Young people, you want a friend like Jonathan, especially in these crucial years of high school. As your relationship with your parents are changing, as you're coming to the realization that fulfillment not only just comes from obeying your mom and dad, and I'm not talking about the boyfriend and girlfriend type of relationship. It involves developing and deepening other relationships, relationships that will assume ever-increasing importance as you move out of your teens and into your adulthood. Your friendships will be key relationships in the coming years. But how can you find a friend like Jonathan? How can any of us find a friend like Jonathan? One of the best answers to this question can be found in the story of these two friends. In some ways, there could not be any two people less likely to be friends. And yet somewhat and somehow, you would see that they were, instead of being driven apart, they're driven closer together. This morning, I invite you to look at chapter 18 and chapter 20 with us as we look to find out this relationship, how we can have an example of a friend that loves at all times, what Proverbs 17, 17 tells us. You've got to have these qualities in your life if you want a friend like Jonathan. So instead of with friends like you who needs enemies, let's try this. With friends like you, I'm better off. With friends like you, I'm better off. What kind of friends do you have? What kind of friend are you? Chapter 18, the first four verses, says this, And now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the son of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So Saul took him that day, and he would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. See what's happening here? Jonathan is transferring to David his own status to include the right of kingly succession. Jonathan understood that while his father was still the king in position, David was already Israel's anointed king. Jonathan realized that David was set apart by God. Rather than serve as king, Jonathan was willing and ready to serve David. How does that apply to us today? Well, let me ask you, would you help a friend get promoted if that meant you might not be selected for that promotion? You know, we get caught up in playing politics and lose sight of what's best for our friend or for our the organization we're in. Some of us nurture political friendships in order to gain power and who we know. But it takes a servant spirit to want to help others, to befriend people, and to make them successful when they couldn't do the same for us. That's called loyalty. I'm better off with a friend who's loyal. Amen? Better than a friend that's like Saul. Loyalty. Jump over to chapter 20. First four verses there in chapter 20. It says, Then David fled from Naoth, 
at Ramoth and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? Why is, what is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's still trying to take my life? Never, Jonathan replied. You're not going to die. You know why Jonathan's saying that? My dad told me he wasn't going to kill you. Your dad deceived you. And Jonathan believed it, believed the best. But David comes to him and says, your dad's going to kill me. Jonathan said, never. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without confiding in me. Why should he hide this from me? It's not so. But David took an oath and said, your father knows very well that I've found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or will be aggrieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only one step between me and death. They had made a covenant. There was some loyalty there. And Jonathan said to David, what? Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. That's loyalty. Whatever you want me to do, I will do for you, David tells Jonathan. How does that translate to our lives today? What are you willing to risk for your friends? Are you willing to risk your comfort, your popularity, your reputation? Now, understand me. Jonathan was not out for David's bad. He was out for his good. He was representing David, risking everything to accomplish David's good. You need to notice that Jonathan remained loyal to his friend. He speaks up for David, not because David had done wrong, but because David had done right. Jonathan's not trying to be that son rebelling against his parents by sticking up for those no-good friends who are going to lead him the wrong way. No. He stands up for a friend who's doing right. You know, there's a lot of folks who stick with you when you have money or when you're doing well. There are plenty of people who sing your praises when you're on top, but forget about you when you hit the bottom. Whatever you want to call those folks, they're not your friends. True friends are loyal friends. You must develop that character trait of loyalty. Let's read on verse 13, chapter 20. May the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, I will report it to you and send you, uh, send you away that you may be in safety. A true friend is one who protects you. A friend is someone who protects you. I don't think Jonathan would have helped David hide a drug habit or keep suicidal thoughts a secret or anything like that because such things are for a friend is disloyalty. And it's not what's best for your friend. And it doesn't protect your friend. True friend not only is loyal, but protects. Jump over to chapter 23, verse 16 and 17. Chapter 23, verse 16 and 17 says this. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father, Saul, knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Not only does a friend bring about protection and loyalty, but a friend also encourages and supports you. I wonder if Solomon, David's son, was reflecting on this friendship when he wrote, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Think about this. With Jonathan, David, without Jonathan, David might have abandoned his calling and returned back to tending sheep. 
or he might have developed a murderous spirit of retaliation to get even with Saul. He had the opportunity, but he didn't take any of that. And accepting Jonathan's friendship, David received confirmation of God's calling on his life. Jonathan's friendship encouraged David to persevere. After each outbreak of violence, King Saul became weaker and distraught. But after each outbreak of violence, David and Jonathan's friendship became stronger. There was encouragement there. There was support there. Chapter 18, verse 1, and chapter 20, verse 17 says this, that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. There was love in this friendship. Notice he didn't say he loved him more than he loved himself. He loved him just as he loved himself. You see, it's possible to love someone and yet love that person less than you love yourself. Let me use myself as an example. When my kids were young, one of the first words that we taught them when they were starting to speak was please. And they would always come up to you and go, please, please. And see, the struggle with that is they'd always do that when I'd have Reese's or M&M's in my hands. And I'd have to share. And so I figured out something. They'd come there and go, please, please, please. I figured something out. Figured out when I saw them coming and I had that in my hand, I would throw all the M&M's or the Reese's in my mouth. Didn't matter how big my cheeks got. And I'd say, all gone. Sorry. Now you say, oh, that's, that's crazy. But it's smart. No. But see, it, as silly as it is, it shows you that I was a selfish pig recovering selfish pig, as it is, but that I was a selfish pig, and it was more interest of what I wanted than what my kids wanted. Now, you put that in contrast to my wife, who's definitely not a selfish pig, and as long as I've known her, has not had a selfish pig bone in her body, because she will mentally figure out that, okay, there's not enough milk for breakfast, so I'm not going to have it. I'm going to let my kids have it or there's not enough money for me to get the clothes that I need or whatever, I'm going to sacrifice so my kids can, or my husband may have this. Now, why does she do that? That's because she loved them more than she loved herself. See, Jonathan David's relationship was somewhere in between there. He had the same type of love for his friend as he did for himself. Now, that's a pretty silly example, but I think you, you get the point. Matter of fact, David and Jonathan remained friends until the end. When David learned of Jonathan's death, he cried out, How how the mighty have fallen! I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman, 2 Samuel chapter 1. To use the modern psychology, there was some male bonding there. They were close. Love and a friendship not only allows a friend to tell you that There's a piece of parsley shining between your teeth when you smile. But it's a friend who can risk it all to suggest that the person you're dating or that you're with is leading you down the wrong way. It's your friend who will be able to be bold enough to say something about your addiction, your weakness, your sin, but not stop there, weep with you about it, come alongside and help you. How many people do you know that are friends like that, that will tell you the truth? 
even when it hurts. Anyone can tell you what you want to hear, but a true friend who loves you cares what's best for you and will tell you the truth. Not only is it about love, true friend, but turn with me to verse 18, and I'm not going to read this. No one say amen. But chapter 18 through 41, long passage. I encourage you to read it later. But let me paraphrase this. Chapter 18 through 41. There is a new moon, and the new moon for three days, David was supposed to go to the dinner and eat with Jonathan and the king. David wasn't going. He told Jonathan, and they worked this out. And through that process, Jonathan says, okay, now he's going to wonder where you are and what's going to happen. And I'm going to find out if Saul still wants to kill you. And so what's going to happen is after that time, I'm going to come out there on the third day, and I'm going to shoot three arrows. When I shoot those three arrows, there's going to be a little lad, a little guy with me. day that David seats empty, Saul doesn't say anything. Saul just says, hey, okay, um, maybe he's unclean and he can't come. But then the second day comes about, and that seat's empty. And, da- and uh, Saul says to Jonathan, where's David? And Jonathan tells him, well, he's asked to be away with his brothers. He's not going to be here. And Saul read between the lines. He goes, your, your loyalty is with him and not with me. And he got angry, and he got mad, and he threw a spear at his own son. And his son got up and said, hey, I'm not going to eat. And he goes back, and he, this is the second day, he goes back, and he weeps for Jonathan because he knows what this means. His dad's after him, wants to kill him. Then the third day, he gets up and goes out with the lad, and he shoots those arrows, and he says, they've gone beyond you, which means Saul's ready to kill you. He wants to kill you. Why do I share all that? Because of accountability. If you want a friendship like Jonathan and David, you need to be willing to be accountable. This passage says willingness to submit to accountability. Notice that David or Jonathan made himself accountable to David. Accountability means vulnerability and voluntarily giving another person authority to question you or correct you and to hold you responsible for that conduct. Jonathan became accountable to David by making a vow that he would report his father's intention. He did some reconnaissance for David, and he signaled what was going on. What will accountability mean in your friendships? Well, I think it depends on your greatest fears or your greatest struggles. But it means meeting with a close friend of the same sex every week or every other week to confess your struggles and sins to allow that friend to hold you accountable for what you do and what you don't do. I remember when I was in seminary, there was three other guys. We were accountable to one another. We met weekly, and they would hold me accountable, and I'd hold them accountable. I had three, we had three or four questions we would ask them. How's your spiritual walk going? We, we made an oath, if you would. We made a commitment that we would be honest and transparent. We said, how was your walk with the Lord going? How, how much have you spent in, in God's word and praying this week? Have you had any um, evil thoughts, any, any bad thoughts? We had a variety of different questions. 
And that accountability, they hold me, held me accountable and I held them accountable. It helped each other in our walk with God. And if you want to have a relationship like Jonathan and David, you need to be able to hold each other accountable. You need to be willing to do that. How does that look? Well, if you're going too far sexually with a boyfriend or girlfriend, accountability might mean confessing to that close friend and seeking their help so you don't do that in the future. If you struggle with pornography, accountability would mean allowing your Christian friend to ask you every week if you viewed anything pornographic and giving, you the per- giving them the, pers- the permission to help you deal with that and get rid of that out of your life. If you have trouble with your prayer habits, accountability would someone would call you and say, hey, how was your prayer time today? Or maybe devotions. How was your devotions? What was it about? I remember when our kids first started doing devotions, one of the things Amy and I did, they may not have known why we were doing it, but we'd say, hey, what'd you learn today? Just a little bit of accountability. And when you know they're going to ask that, you, you, you prepare. You're ready. You see, with accountability in your friendship, it may look a little different for each one of you. But you need to have it. Jonathan pledged his support in saving David's life. You may need help kicking a habit or developing a certain discipline. But you need that accountability in your life. Last but definitely not least, 12, verse 42, verse 12, chapter 20, verse 12 says this. Then Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. Verse 42 says, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back. You have, a common, you have to have a common faith to have that type of relationship and friendship. There has to be a common faith there. And if you follow this throughout, David was faithful to that commitment right there. Because if you know anything about church history or other history, uh, when a, a new king comes, they would wipe out all the other successors so there wouldn't be any challenge to the throne. And what David or what Jonathan was asking David to do here is don't wipe out the next generations of mine. And David, and Jonathan, David does not do that. He does not kill Jonathan's successors or Jonathan's family, descendants. He holds to that. But they did all of this because of their faith in God. There was a commitment to God there. Now hear me out, because this is something that a lot of people find difficult to hear. But I think it's crucial in developing the right type of friendships. 2 Corinthians 6.14, we all recognize it. It's a verse that's usually applied to dating and marriage, and it does apply to that. But I think it's a broader application. Let me read it if you don't know what it is. Do not be yoked together. One version said, do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Now, I'll tell you, this does not say you can't have non-believing friends. But it does tell you that you should not be yoked together. Close friendships, the friendship that we're talking about here, with an unbeliever. I'm going to ask Gilbert, and I forgot to do this before. I'm going to ask Gilbert if he would come up here. Come on, brother. Come on. Everybody encourage Gilbert to come on up here. He doesn't know I'm doing this. Come on up here, brother. 
Come on. Come on, brother. I'm going to use this as an example here. No, you're not in trouble. He, he goes, I'm in trouble. No, he's a big guy. He's not in trouble with me. But let me, let me illustrate this with you. What he's talking about in this verse is that a farmer would yoke together two oxen, two mules, and I'm not asking or saying that we're any of those, so don't go there. Don't get mad at me because I said that, okay? But they would yoke them together. And just like we're brother to brother here with our arms around together, what we would do, they would use the strength of two people, two animals together to plow the fields. And they would, would walk with me, brother. We're not going down the aisle or anything. Okay, but he would use that, use the strength to plow the field. But here, becomes, here comes the problem. If one or the other wants to go this way, you're going the wrong way. And that's why it's so important you can have a seat. Everybody, good job. All right. But that's the problem. So, see, it says you need to be yoked together with someone like-minded, someone who's going to go the same way. Young people, when you have friends that are not believers, you're not on the same page with your faith. They pull you away instead of going the right way. You need to be yoked together with that right person as a friendship. It's got to be about your faith being yoked together. They had a friendship that was based on a commitment to God. After helping David escape, Jonathan lived out his friendship in circumstances that were against David. Yet the circumstances did not cancel out the bond of friendship that David and Jonathan had. Jonathan had a heart of loyalty, of love, of accountability, of faith in God with David. What kind of friends do you have? Before we close, let me, let me just share this. You can read through this, and you always hear about Jonathan at this stage. You always hear about Jonathan and what he's done and, and how he supports him. But let me tell you something else this friendship has that's not put up there. Over six times when you read through those passages, chapter 16 through 22, over six times it talks about Jonathan acting wisely. Jonathan acting wisely. When, when Saul would throw a spear at him, he would say, Jonathan, uh, David would get away and he would act wisely. How he would respond to that enemy. How he would respond to his friend Jonathan. How he would respond to different things. He acted wisely. He responded wisely. So I want you to make sure you just don't, we always talk about Jonathan, but David acted very wisely in there. And I believe it's one of the reasons he was chosen for that position. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you see this example of friendship between Jonathan and David. You say, Brother Steve, I've already got friends like that. I'm blessed. I have friends like that. But I want you to remember something if you do have friends like that. There's someone next to you that may not have that friendship. And you need to be that friend to them. You need to be that friend to them. Maybe this morning you're that other person. You're saying, Brother Steve, I don't have a friend like that. And I would say that's where you're wrong. Because you do have a friend like that. In fact, you have a friend that loves you more than David or Jonathan or any other friend could love you. You see, Proverbs 18, verse 24 says, A man who has friends must find himself friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer 
than a brother. Yes, Jonathan and David are great examples of friendship, but there's one friend who gives us the perfect example of friendship, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the friend you can turn to in trouble. He will always be there. He's the friend that when everyone else leaves you, he will never leave you. He's the friend that will tell you the absolute, undeniable truth. And he'll speak to you. And he'll direct you if you'll listen. Jesus did something else for us that any friend here can't do. And that is he died for you. He paid your penalty for sin that you or your best friend can't do. He did that for you. He did that for me. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down one's life for his friends. You might not know it, but Jesus is your best friend. And he can help you be a better friend to your friends. If you'll follow him, if you'll trust in him. Friends like this, friends like Jesus, doesn't matter who your enemies are. With friends like Jesus, it doesn't matter who your enemies are. That should get an amen. It should. I hate to even have to ask that. But if you have a friend like Jesus, he's the one that helps you through all those times. He's the one that protects you. We can say all this that Jonathan did But it was God's hand that was upon Jonathan. It was God's hand that was upon David that protected him against Saul. No matter who your enemies are. Do you need a friend like this? This morning you have an opportunity. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's great that he'd be your friend because he calls us friend. And it's great to be able to have him as your friend, to be there when you need him and for you to follow him. But it's greater than just being a friend. It's about being a savior. Someone who's died on the cross and paid the penalty that we could not pay, that any of our friends could not pay. Only Christ can do that. Maybe this morning you know Christ and he is your friend. He is your savior. But you've been struggling with friendships. You've been, maybe you've been feeling lonely because you don't have the friends like Jonathan and David. Right where you are, just, just lay it out. Be honest with God. Let him know, I want that friend. I don't want the wrong friends. I want the right friends. Let God know. He cares. But I would also challenge you to evaluate yourself and ask if you're being that same type of friend that you, that you want. My parents used to always say, why do you deserve a friend like that when you're not being that friend? Convicting, isn't it? Challenging, isn't it? There's no one else you can control in this room except for yourself and how you are being a friend to those around you. So as Tori continues to play, the invitation's here. Maybe you need to make a decision. Maybe you need to come down forward and you say, hey, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Christ as my Lord and Savior. Come on down.